The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. And welcome to episode 183 of the Sample Chapter Podcast. I am your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hey, I hope you had yourself a great 4th of July. I hope your weekend was wonderful and you got to have a safe and uh, relaxing time. Uh, I know I did. Plus, I got to celebrate my wife's birthday. Her birthday is the 4th of July, so she is my firecracker in every sense of the word. She really lights up my life. <laughs> you know, what can I say? I mean, it's, it's, it's a good time getting to set up fireworks and uh, be around all the grandkids, and, and it was a nice weekend. Hey, this week we have a very special guest, uh, actually our second host from the Semi-Sages of the Pages podcast. This week's guest is Sarah Faxon. Uh, she is here today talking about her new book, Tiny Dreadfuls. It's a collection of kind of like paranormal thriller horror type stories. Uh, very spooky. And the, uh, the story she's going to be reading today is very chilling. And you're going to be wondering by the end of it, what in the world is going on? It's a great story. I can't wait to share that with you. Uh, but during the interview, we're going to have a great talk. We're talking about drawing inspiration from author podcasts, uh, discovering your genres, and exploring more options within yourself. We talk about book trailers, which is a side service that she does, so something for you to look into. And we talk about genre blending. So much great stuff going on in this interview. You're going to really love it, so stay tuned for that's coming up here in just a few moments. Now, I do want to add, Sarah is, like me, a fan of our sponsor, Scrivener. She uses it with her writing, just like I do. All of our writing goes down in there, and it's such a great tool, one that you definitely want to check out. So, listen to this advertisement and learn how you can save 20% on the regular desktop version. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard. You can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener writing software, built by writers for writers. Thank you once again to Scrivener. That is an awesome deal and one that you need to click on and get over there. Don't forget that coupon code CHAPTER whenever you go to check out and save yourself some money. Hey, do you like audiobooks? Uh, do you like having the books read to you? Because I do. And here's an advertisement for you to get yourself a free 30-day trial. Hello, friends. Jason here. And I wanted to take a moment to tell you about a great offer from Audible. Like you, I'm very busy. I have a full-time job, a family, I'm a thriller author, and I do this weekly podcast. But I also love to read. 
That's where Audible is a lifesaver for me. Whether I'm mowing the yard, working out, driving back and forth to work, or doing some other menial task, I can still listen to an incredible book through Audible. And now you can get a free 30-day trial by going to audibletrial.com slash sample chapter. By doing that, you'll not only have that 30-day trial, you'll also gain access to guided wellness programs, theatrical performances, A-list comedy, exclusive Audible originals, and even podcasts like the Sample Chapter Podcast. Last year is the first time I ever achieved my own personal reading goals, and it was because of some wonderful titles I listened to on Audible. Some of those titles were Ready Player Two by Ernest Cline, narrated by Will Wheaton, the Awaken Online series from Travis Bagwell, narrated by David Stifle. Patient Zero by Jonathan Mayberry, narrated by the incredible Ray Porter. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention previous guest Scott Meyer with his Magic 2.0 series, narrated by Luke Daniels. It's a lot of fun and definitely worth your time. Hey, full disclosure, by signing up at audibletrial.com slash sample chapter, the show does get a little monetization, which goes directly towards any production needs uh, with the show. So you're also helping us out here by signing up. So what are you waiting for? Head on over now to audibletrial.com slash sample chapter and start your free 30-day trial today. All right, thank you once again to Audible for partnering with the show and making this great offer. I also want to thank my friends at Pop Goes the Culture Network, home to about a dozen other shows, uh, all, all kinds of podcast shows over there, all of them pop culture related. Uh, Two Dads Review, the Alamo Drafthouse Backlot, the Pop Goes the Culture podcast, in fact. A lot of great shows and uh, plenty of stuff for you to go and check out. If you are a fan of pop culture, they have a show for you. You need to also go and check out the Project Entertainment Network, home to a little over 30, because I know a couple of the shows have ended, come to an end. Very sad. The main one that uh, really upset me, not upset me, but you know, it, it was sad to see it go, was uh, Armand Rosamilia's Armcast podcast. Uh, I was a guest on before, and uh, but I mean, he did 400 episodes, and that's, not, that's nothing to you know laugh at. That was a lot. Uh, but that show has come to an end. The, they're still available for you to check out, though. So you can go in and check out the backlist. Look up my episode if you like. I think I was there around episode 200, something like that. 200, 250, somewhere around there is when I was a guest on it. Uh, but so many great shows for you to go and check out. Like I said, about 30 different ones. Wide variety of shows. Check out this advertisement for one of those incredible shows. Are you so tired of having your own thoughts? Are you just totally exhausted having your own beliefs on every single thing in the entire world? Well, don't worry. Here at Your New Opinion, we do the thinking for you. Join Ryan, Nick, and Ben as the boys debate topics that we probably know nothing about using every dirty trick they can think of to win. Everything from if net neutrality is good or bad, to cake versus pie, to who killed JFK. So if you're looking to never have your own thoughts again, check out your new opinion every Friday. All right, so that's a great show. One you definitely ought to click on the links and uh, check it out. You want to make sure that you're also following all of these sponsors, partners, and podcast friends on social media. Uh, just like the Sample Chapter Podcast, we are available on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
Uh, so get in there, look for the Sample Chapter Podcast, and you can follow us. You can also go to the website of SampleChapterPodcast.com and click the link there for all of our social media. Make sure that uh, whenever you follow us on uh, whatever platform you want to follow from, give me a shout out. Let me know where you're listening from, anywhere from around the world, because I know we've got a lot of listens overseas. You know, so not just here in America. America is our biggest one to date, but I know India is another one. That's a huge uh, followers of, of us right now, uh, thanks to the Ghana podcast player that we became a part of uh, several months ago. And uh, that's that's incredible. I don't know if there's a special way for me to say hello, but if you are in India, make sure to give me a shout out on social media. Let me know that you're there and uh, listening to the episode. Maybe even tell me what one of your favorite episodes are so far. Hey, uh, if you are not a social media person, but you'd like to reach out, you can do so at samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com. I have been doing good at catching up on emails and responding to, to several author requests, uh, getting my July and August loaded up right now. You got We have a lot of really good episodes coming up. So if you want to uh, give me another one, you can do so at samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com course you can also leave me a voicemail and i would love to get some voicemails from y'all sometime uh, by calling 1-660-851-1146 and uh yeah just leave me a voicemail tell me something you like tell me how your holiday weekend went tell me if you're working on something that you're writing right now or give tell me about one of your favorite episodes anything you like tell me about it and i'm gonna play that on an upcoming episode all right that's enough of all the legal stuff, <laughs> all the side stuff that I needed to make sure and mention. Now it's time to get us on over to our wonderful conversation. She is so positive. Just so much positivity. You're going to love this. It's episode 183 with Sarah Fax. Hello, Sample Chapter listeners. Hey, this week we are sitting down with a a wonderful guest from a show that I've talked about twice before now. Uh, previous guest, Teresa Halverson, is a part of the show. And now I have another one of the wonderful ladies of the Semi-Sages of the Pages podcast, Sarah Faxon. Fantasy author, podcaster, YouTuber, and interested in helping others, helping other authors tell their tales is Sarah Faxon. She is a creative warrior with awards and, uh, like I said, the wonderful show. And most importantly, she loves the sound of rain and the scent of ink on lingle pads. Lingle pads? Legal pads. Something I can uh, I can definitely relate to. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jason. It's a pleasure to be here. I, I love having you here. And, uh, we, you know, we got to talk a little bit before. I love the show. I love the uh, semi-sages. And uh, I, I guess we could we can just kind of start there. And uh, how, did, uh, how did you get involved with the semi-sages? It's, it's really funny. It, it, we never planned it really. <laughs> um, we met at the La Jolla Writers Conference, which is a really big writing conference here in San Diego and Southern California. And we were attending workshops together and just sort of saw each other throughout the day. And um, at the end of the, the first day, we all sat down at the, um, at the restaurant that was at the hotel and we just started talking. And over around, as I like to say, of fine San Diego craft beer, uh, the idea came out that we wanted to start a podcast or something where authors at our level, which was just beginning, uh, were talking about writing. 
I mean, we've all attended uh, conferences or listened to podcasts of fairly established writers and talking about the successes and, oh, you know, my book's going to be a movie or (laughs) hearing those stages that we're just not quite there yet. Of course, we have dreams and ambitions for all of our works to be, but we wanted something raw and something real. And we just vibed so well together that before we knew it, we we were recording this podcast. And I think there's still times where we were we're not quite sure if it's real. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we just got um, a notice from from Buzzsprout the other day, our um, hosting site, that we've had over 5,000 downloads. So Fantastic. it's been an incredible adventure. And, and that's a big part of it is that we're sharing our adventures. And, and I think that's one of the, the selling points for me that really brought me into the show is, is all of you bringing in your experiences with it and the way you just kind of play off each other and, and the conversation is very organic and it will it will kind of weave from one to another, but yet you'll pull yourself back onto topic as well. But, and there's lots of uh, just wonderful conversations and making me think of like, oh yeah, I hadn't thought of that before. It's uh, I, I really enjoy it. Well, thank you. I'm I'm really glad to hear that. And I mean, even we we've now gotten into the habit of having notebooks next to us because we'll inspire each other, and we'll <laughs> yeah. our, we'll have our aha moments. And um, my computer right now is littered with sticky notes of ideas from the semi sages for my current work. So <laughs> I'm really glad to hear that it's inspiring for you as well. Well, I mean, I know I'm not the only person uh, from the sounds of it that uh, was very inspired by your one of your most recent episodes with the vampire uh, <laughs> hummingbirds. That was frightening and exciting at the same time. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, how does one even fight that? I mean, what is the tennis rackets? I mean, <laughs> it's just... oh, it led gosh. to many, many follow-up conversations, I assure you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, now, what is your what is your background with uh, with writing? How did you get started? Um, I got started in the third grade. I remember our uh, my teacher at the time asking us to write a short story and told us all about <clears throat> excuse me uh, told us about how to write a story. And my very first story was called Three Cool Cats, and it was about these three cats who had an oppressive dictator overlord um, dog. <laughs> and they, they threw a rebellion, poisoned the dog, and life was great. And that was my first horror short story. <laughs> um, why I wasn't put in therapy, I'm not sure. But that sparked this storyteller within me. And I've been writing ever since. And um, it's almost a compulsion. Um, I, I can't control it. It just goes. Um, I, I write almost every day. Um, not to say that I don't get writer's block. Of course I do. Um, but then I'll just move on to a different story for a little bit. Um, just so I keep going. And, uh, I wrote all throughout college and I kind of have a joke that I would have gotten much better grades, but I had novels to write. So, <laughs> um, it's just, it's a part of me. It's, it comes to me like breathing. It's just what I do. Oh, that's wonderful. I, I love that. Uh, it goes that far back for you that you've been able to hang on to that dream, uh, you know, going that far back to third grade. I, 
I remember writing short stories as a kid, just, just dreaming of all kinds of stuff and trying my hand here and there and then having some teachers who were, were pushing me along the way like, oh, this is great. You should do write some more. Uh, but, you know, especially when I became a teenager, there was much more things like I was really into football and hmm. working out and fishing or other things and thinking like, well, you know, I don't know how to become a writer. So, you know, that's not realistic, but it was just always there in the back of my mind. And, and uh, yeah, thankfully, I didn't give it up. And now I'm getting Good. to live out that part of it. And I can still go fishing. So. <laughs> yes, because balance is good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I, it's it's one. I like that you have a, a bit of a of a mix. Uh, you, you talked about your first story had a kind of a horror slant, and you are a member of the Horrors Writers Association. Uh, but you also write in fantasy, and uh, you're you're uh, acting president. Are you still acting president of the San Diego Writers and Editors Guild? Oh uh, yes. Okay, so you've got a little bit of uh, back and forth and some paranormal mixed in. Uh, do you have a preference that you think, or uh, or do you just kind of like playing the field and going wherever the muse leads you? You know, it's really funny. I, for the majority of my writing life, I have written fantasy. Um, you know, The Animal Court and Foreign and Domestic Affairs were my first two um, fantasy books, and I call them light fantasy um, <laughs> because they're the introduction to the world that I've created. And for the most part, most of my fantasy books take place within the same world. And I've written over a dozen novels that take place in that um, world, in that setting, um, just haven't gotten them out yet because I have a very specific way I'm trying to release them. But over 2020, um, there were just things happening in my life that drew me towards contemporary thrillers. And so I wrote a book called The Complex, which I'm not releasing just yet um, for a few reasons, but one of which is that it, a lot of it drew from what was happening in 2020. And, you know, from the pandemic to just the quarantine and the horrors of all that. And um, I felt like it was too soon <laughs> to <laughs> release it. So I'm going to give a little space between 2020 and the complex. But in writing that, I realized that I really enjoyed writing um, thriller, suspense, and um, horror. And so joined the Horror Writing Society. And then I realized, oh my gosh, like I have a dozen short stories that I've already written. Why haven't I done anything with these? Uh -huh. And um, I sewed them together and made Tiny Dreadfuls, um, which is my collection of horrors, oddities, and tales of the dark. And it really just kicked off for me that I don't have to be married to any one genre. And um, that was really it, my aha moment, if you will, because I, I didn't really think about it too much. I'd never thought I could write a contemporary story or a story that takes place in a contemporary setting. Mm -hmm. And so, um, or that I'd even be writing historical um, pieces. Um, my writing partner, uh, Teresa Halverson, who you're familiar with, um, she and I wrote a book called Lost Aboard, which is a creative nonfiction piece that takes place aboard uh, San Diego's historic tall ship star of India. So the last year has really taught me that 
it's okay to broaden your horizons in writing genres and have fun with it. And that's really all that matters. Absolutely. Well said. And I, I love that. I, I love that exploratory feel to it of even after so many years of experience, you're still finding your, your voice wherever that may take you. I, I never expected that. I, I, I always thought growing up, uh, mostly I grew up in the uh, like 70s and 80s. So I just thought, okay, I'm writing action because of all the action movies I grew up watching. Everything was Schwarzenegger and Stallone. <laughs> you know so it's okay I get a group of guys we're all muscle bound and we're gonna go after the guys but I'm writing nothing like that now I'm writing more thrillers and even some paranormal and creepy stuff that I'm like where is this coming from I don't understand <laughs> it but I love it <laughs> right oh I totally I totally understand that I constantly have people telling me that I am the silver lining queen and yet at the same time I'm writing these really dark horror stories. <laughs> so it's it's a very similar like where is this coming from? What what did I what did I watch? <laughs> what inspired this? Oh my gosh. Uh so now you you had uh, foreign and domestic affairs came out in 2019 which looks like it, it that did really well and uh followed up by Animal Court which I I got I just heard about uh, some of that on the uh, on the show. And uh, tell us about each of these so that people can uh, know what else, uh, what else you have to offer. So the Animal Court um, is the first in the series um, and it is about a country on the verge of collapse and one woman's struggle to save the country she loves. And it, I actually wrote that, I started writing that my senior year in high school because I was bored in PE and just was sitting there on the bleachers and I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna start writing now. And <laughs> thus began the saga of this story. And it takes place in a country where men dominate the political scene. And this one woman, Gertrude, our protagonist, is fighting so hard to be both the voice for the people, to navigate the politics and to get the ear of the king. And the king is just, he never should have been king. He was the last brother of three who never expected to be king. And so he lived a very uh, rich, lavish lifestyle, which in their country's political system doesn't work because the king is a little bit more involved or supposed to be a little bit more involved in the politics, but he's just not. And so he has been manipulated and um, twisted into believing that X is right, but it's actually ABC. And so the people are starving and Gertrude goes back and forth between the country where she sees this and the capital or to the capital where all the rich and powerful just stay in the castle. They don't leave Maltoro. So they're blind to what's happening or they're helping to keep the king blind to what's happening. And so throughout the story, we go through the trials of Gertrude to convince the council that they have to stop being blind. They have to do something to save the people. And she has this huge elaborate plan, but because she's the only woman, nobody's listening to her. Mm -hmm. And so the King calls up his brothers who are still alive to come to counsel him. This is his last stand because he knows that things are starting to fall apart, but he just has no idea what, how to fix it. And 
bringing the brothers back brings up old rivalries and old hatreds among royal blood. So the whole story revolves around what's going to happen. Will the country collapse or will Gertrude be able to save it in time? Okay. So then uh, Foreign and Domestic Affairs, which is the sequel, takes place 20 years later and in the same country. And it revolves around the royal couple, a pair who never wanted to be king and queen and their struggle between saving their family or their thrones. And one of the greatest comments I'm hearing about foreign and domestic affairs is that even though this book takes place in a fantasy setting, even though it's about a king and a queen, so many people are telling me that they've also been in that situation where they had to choose between their job and their families, which ones to prioritize. I mean, how many of us have come home after a long day and just crash on the couch or mm-hmm. you know whatever it is mm-hmm. where you, you know I've got to squeeze in a couple more hours at work to get this report done or whatever it is sometimes our work takes over our lives and we have to really make that choice of is this what I want or do I want to be with my family and it's an impossible decision for a king and queen to make <laughs> so the second book foreign and domestic affairs is about the country where it stands now. The king and queen had to make some very difficult decisions at the end of the animal court uh, to preserve the country. And so their iron fists had to fall. And so throughout the book, they are wondering if anything happened, would we have the support of the people or would they turn their backs on us? And then they also have uh, some teenage sons who are getting into trouble (laughs) and (laughs) just normal teenage sons do. And um, the book starts with them actually losing their youngest child and dealing with mourning while still being king and queen. So it's, it's a complex story with a lot of very real relationship issues that Mm -hmm. we all have to deal with. Oh, wow. That's, that's incredible. And uh, yeah, I, I didn't even realize that that was uh, one was the sequel to the other. I saw that, but then I was looking uh, on here. I saw the book uh, from 19. And now I see there that foreign domestic affairs was a sequel. That's a, that sounds incredible. Both of them. Um, I'm gonna have to check these out. (laughs) I'm okay with that. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, no problem. No problem. Read my book. <laughs> well, now, before we uh, before we go into your uh, your highlighted book for the day, uh, Tiny Dreadfuls, I also wanted to kind of highlight some of your your other services that you do on uh, on your website. You got some author services. Uh, one of these that's been quite the trending thing for the last, I'd say, year or two, which is book trailers. Now, how did how did you get into that? I took a marketing class, a marketing for writing class um, at the end of 2019 into early 2020. And um, we went through a variety of ways that you could market your books. And we spent pretty much an entire class talking about book trailers and what makes them successful, what makes them not successful and how to really stand out. I mean, YouTube is on everybody's phone by default. So the potential marketing 
in book trailers is astronomical <laughs> because it's such a great search engine. YouTube is such a great search engine. And that's the um, primary place where I post the, um, the trailers. So mid 2020, I started playing around with the idea of making a book trailer and as part of the class too, we made book trailers and I made a very, very, uh, I look back at it now and it's like, oh, how far I've come. <laughs> <laughs> a very basic book trailer for uh, my next book, Blue Dragon Society. And um, one day I started doing research into it and watching hours, because uh, it's what we did in 2020. We, we sat and we streamed things of um, YouTube videos on bu uh, book trailers. And I was like, you know, I think I can do that. And so I started looking around for various services I could use or um, stock video platforms, um, everything from Adobe to Canva to, um, oh, what do I use now? To streaming my, or to filming my own, actually. I ended up getting a really nice Sony uh, camera um, to support this endeavor. And it's a lot of fun. Um, pulling a story together um, that you've either read or that you've written and turning into a cinematic trailer. And I say cinematic because there is a standard that I'd like to help other authors reach with this and not just from me providing the service. Um, any one of us could go and buy stock video or you record on our phones a video for our book. We could ask our, our besties to be <laughs> the actors in it. And there's nothing wrong with that. If they're really good, go for it. But the thing is, is book trailers don't have the best reputation right now. It's considered very mom and pop at the moment, which is, again, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. um, excuse me, not mom and pop. They're considered very amateur. So one of my goals is to help other authors reach a higher standard even if they make it themselves, to just use the right resources to make sure they source videos responsibly as well. And um, to create a higher standard of these trailers so that book trailers become a very go-to way to find books. Yeah, I, I think it's going to catch on. I, I really do. I mean, they're, they're fantastic to look at. Um, you know, they the 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 ones that are well done like what the ones i watched on your site they capture your imagination and make you want to go and what's next what what, mm -hmm. what do i need oh, I, I gotta find out more and uh <clears throat> i think it's gonna catch on i mean i remember a couple years ago hearing about a guy one of the, the authors i follow he started writing westerns and he he just wanted to write westerns he was like mm. i love them i know they're not selling right now but i really want to do it and all of a sudden in the last year, maybe it was the pandemic or what, whatever the deal was, but all of a sudden Western started catching on and his back catalog of Westerns started selling like crazy. Hmm. And, uh, and now they're, they're selling really good. And, you know, you never know the book trailers might, it could be something like that, just the right person or the right trend all of a sudden hits. And next thing you know, everybody's doing a book trailer and I, why not jump on it now? Right. Yeah, absolutely. It is very much an untapped um, resource available to us. So I highly recommend um, authors do book trailers for their stories. And like you said, it inspires that, oh, what happens next, which is what we all want. <laughs> absolutely. So now it sounds like your 2020 
and I, and I don't want to put words about it sounds like your 2020 was fairly productive uh, in spite of the state of affairs worldwide uh, how would you how would you describe your 2020 2020 <laughs> um i had been working a full-time job um as as many of us were and um march 13th we had a big meeting at my work where we were all laid off the entire business was oh, laid no. off because we were a museum and you know the world was ending. So, <laughs> so the world as we knew it was was done, basically. And nobody knew it was going to come. So we had to close our doors. So um, I went home uh, with one of my friends who was also laid off and my boyfriend. And we drank a round of Coronas because it felt appropriate. <laughs> and um, then the next day, I sat down and I started writing. I mean, that was my way of dealing with it, of escaping from basically the world collapsing around us. <laughs> um, um, I just started writing and I, I kind of saw my being, what eventually became just furloughed um, as a gift. Mm -hmm. um, because again, I'm the queen of silver lighting. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, 2020 was devastating for so many people. And um, yeah, I don't want to miss that. Um, but I don't want to not acknowledge that. But I chose to not fall into depression. Mm -hmm. um, because I know that that's something I do. Um, I'm very lucky with my depressive states, though. they'll fall for about a day. And it's just a day of the case of the grays, as I say. Um, sometimes it lasts a little longer, but I just sit on the couch and I'm brain dead. And I knew that if I didn't dive full on into my writing, into learning new things, into creating, that I had the potential of being in the grays for a very long time. And so I wrote the draft of Blue Dragon Society. I wrote The Complex. I learned about book trailers, about cover design, and it kept me going. And it kept me positive and having my writing or my creative um, projects really just kept me moving and breathing and focused on what was important in my world and the things that I could control. And as we know, 2020 had several things that we couldn't control. Mm -hmm. And um, so having that, I don't want to say that power, but having that, well, I guess, yeah, that power within me, which was inspired by my writing and my craft, just kept me going and kept a smile on my face. Oh, great. Great. I mean, that, that speaks to, that speaks to me and at the heart of who I am too. I'm a very positive and there's always a good spin on something and silver lining. I'm, I am Captain America's twin. Like, nope, it's all right. I'm not giving up. We're going to keep going. Come on, Avengers Assemble. Let's go. Mm -hmm. I can do this all day. And uh, about to a fault at times. And uh, it's, it's really hard to get me way down. But uh, and I know like, that can be very annoying to my wife sometimes. But uh, <laughs> but it, it keeps me strong and it keeps it it uh, it makes me be her rock and uh, 
and and she's mine so whenever things do get to us then we're able to kind of bounce off each other and, and be like oh, it's gonna be all right and um, i i appreciate that i like how you just kind of took you know what everybody went through last year and spun it into all right well what can i do now mm-hmm. well speaking of that uh what uh, what can we expect from you next I, he- I heard a little bit about it but what what is the uh, blue dragon society So the Blue Dragon Society is a book I've been working on for about 20 years. I love it. Love it. And I, right. And I know you're a big fan of Scrivener and I have to say, I'm a big fan of Scrivener. Mm -hmm. Um, Fantastic writing tool. And my, my biggest issue with Blue Dragon Society is I've been writing it for 20 years. And so I have 20 years worth of notes around this piece and once I found Scrivener, I was able to finally organize everything into one place and um, it's just taken off. And last year I was trying to bend it to what my 13 year old self wanted it to be. And that doesn't really work. So, <laughs> um, so after having read several, several wonderful fantasies and several wonderful mysteries, um, I have, ne- well, about two thirds of the way through the rewrite of last year's version. And I'm so happy with it. And what it is, is it's about a city, the capital of the country, Baradesh, where these strange murders stop- start happening. And it's not just one murder or two or three, it's 14 murders. And for whatever reason, the police in this capital have been turning their eye to it. And the headmistress of the, the Academy Dova gets involved in this because of her uh, specialties in race relations, particularly with werewolves. And so the communities are screaming that this is, this is being done by a werewolf, by a werewolf. And she goes, no, this is being done by demons. Mm. And so it's believed that the demons are gone because the Battle of Hell's Gate shut their way in. But Diane is adamant that this is demons. And there's only one person that is still familiar with how to hunt them, but he wants nothing to do with the Capitol or the Blue Dragon Society and the Demon Hunting Society. And so the rest of the story follows is, is this demon, are these murders being done by a demon or something else? And uh, this is the first in a trilogy. And I'm so excited for the story, mostly because it's been with me for so long. I mean, I, I've known these characters longer than most <laughs> of my friends at this point. And um, it's just, it's what I'm kind of aiming for is Sherlock Holmes meets Game of Thrones. Okay, wow. That's quite the combination. i i find that genre blending is a lot of fun and um being sort of i don't want to say trapped within a genre a single genre um is limiting but 2020 kind of taught me that it's your book yeah oh gosh Um, yes write what calls to you and of course have beta readers within your genre that are like oh this is a stretch too far um or wow this is exactly what you'd expect of this and have those guiding points along with you but when it really boils down to it just write the story you want to write i i agree yeah when you do that that's when your passion comes through and that's when you tell your best stories 
as opposed to trying to write what you think people want to hear because mm -hmm. you're never gonna you, you're not gonna reach that you're not gonna get what uh, what people really want it'll it'll kind of uh, it won't be as pure yeah and like you said your passion really comes out on the page and that's what people will be drawn to absolutely oh my gosh so many wonderful things i'm so excited <laughs> for this uh where can people find and follow you sarah um, they can find me on my website at sfaxon.com. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Um, Instagram's s underscore faxon, and you can just find me on Facebook by s looking up s faxon. Also, one of the semi sages of the pages, and we're on every major podcasting uh, app. Wonderful. Yes, and uh, uh, Teresa gave me the the link so that people can follow that as well and uh, tune in live with the show. Go into the uh, the room that you do this in so that I'll make sure and share that again with this episode. This is a lot of fun. And uh, I, I've had a really good time. I've had a great time too. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, for, uh, before we hand it over, I want to talk, we're going to talk here just for a second about, uh, about Sarah's upcoming or her newest book, Tiny Dreadfuls, uh, prepare yourself for a tour through the dark inspired by classic Victorian Penny Dreadfuls. This collection of horror shorts and oddities from award-winning author Sarah Faxon takes you through the cursed orchids, opium-stoked alleyways, haunted houses, and to the high seas. With some of these stories based on real-life paranormal encounters, this book is a must-read for those who love the fanciful and unexplainable. Oh, I love it. This is going to be exciting. <laughs> Uh, what, uh, what can we expect from, uh, from this book or what, I don't know, cause there's, is there anything you need to set up for this? Um, so each one of these stories are independent and, um, I will be reading from the confession, which I'm being, uh, asked to make a novel out of because people oh. like it so much. <laughs> oh, wow. Awesome. Okay. Wonderful. Well then. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to hand the floor over to my guest, Sarah Faxon, with one of their short stories from Tiny Dreadfuls. Tale Three, The Confession. As he stood outside of the police station alone, taking in the last puffs of a bum cigarette, the detective took a look up to the heavens above. The sky was black. Only a sliver of a moon glared back. Those starless nights were relatively uncommon. Tonight, the sight of the darkness gave the detective an unexpected chill. On paper, this case looked like others he'd seen before. It had the makeup of any other youth gone bad. A recent drastic move, a step-parent, isolation, and to top it off, the kid had a record. Assault charges followed him. The kid had convinced a jury that the fight was in self-defense from bullies but the ink on his sheet did not bode him favors tonight. Times had changed so much from when Detective DeVita was a kid. When the bullies on the playground made fun of his mom for being a single parent, he decked them and everyone moved on. Now, a kid did that, it was assault. Tonight, both the kid's parents were dead and his house lay in rubble from a fire that most said he started. How else could an 18-year-old escape from a level three blaze relatively untouched by the flames? This was one of the countless questions that Detective DeVita intended to find out. Tossing his cigarette, the detective returned to the bustling police station. The phones were going off the hook. 
The two people managing the lines tonight did their best to keep up, but the constant ringing did little to help Detective DeVita's head. He hated this time of year. Halloween was not a time of laughter, tricks, and treats. It was a hell-inspiring 24 hours when every wacko and loner decided to run rampant and that they had to deal with. Hey, DeVita grumbled in a greeting to his partner who was approaching with the case file. Talks just came back. Detective Hanks patted the side of the two-inch thick manila folder. You won't believe it. They began to walk toward the interrogation room, which was at the back of the precinct. Kids clean? Squeaky. Davida took the file and opened it up to the page labeled with the blue tab. The report said it in black and white. The kid's story about not being high or buzzed at the time of the fire panned out. So he's just a run-of-the-mill psycho. Detective Hanks rolled her eyes. There's something off about this case. I just... Well, I'm going in to talk to the kid now. You'll be in the booth, right? I'm not missing this. Detective Hanks left her partner at the first door. Good luck. Thanks. He saluted her, then opened the door. The detective entered the plain walled interrogation room, a scene he felt more comfortable in than at home. There was a number of things a veteran detective such as himself looked for the second he stepped into the room. First and foremost, was the detainee awake? It seemed backward to new recruits and to those who had no experience in investigations, but from the most, planning a murder is a sleep-depriving ordeal, one that has a host of demons screaming in your head. So once the deed is done, and if you're in a quiet, safe place, the adrenaline drops you into dreams. Detective DeVita half expected this kid to be sleeping, but the kid was awake, wide awake. Though deep circles under his brown eyes suggested the boy hadn't slept in winks, he looked days away from an adrenaline crash. Perhaps he was terrified that he had been caught so easily. Eh, time would tell. All right, Detective DeVita sat down at the desk, deciding to take a more firm yet soft-spoken approach with this kid who, drugs or not, already seemed so strung out and on the edge. They said you wanted to talk to me. Just take your time. There's no rush. The boy's eyes never ceased their scanning of the room, but he did not appear to be looking for anything in particular. The black soda in the unsipped cup between his hands rippled from the reverberation of his knee, bouncing up and down beneath the table. Okay, the boy's shaky voice started. He pushed his ear-length hair back, and for a split second, the detective could see some of the deep scratches noted in the report the first responders made. From the file that the detective had reviewed before stepping out to catch a smoke, the detective knew that the boy's skin was riddled with similar scratches that looked to have been done by fingernails. I'll tell you, the boy's voice trembled as he spoke. But there's no way you'll believe me. I, I just, I gotta tell someone. The detective nodded his head. I'm listening. Sighing hard, the boy took several deep breaths before mustering up the words. We moved into this stupid town from the city a few months ago. My stepdad got a new job out here, so my mom and I picked up our entire lives and moved. Aside from the fact that the town sucked, everything was fine at first. Until the day I got into a fight after school. That's when everything all started. My mom and stepdad were pissed. He started yelling at me, and then my mom started yelling at him. And in the midst of everything, a family picture we'd had on the wall of the living room fell. The boy hesitated. His shoulders drew up. It stopped our fight, and we just sort of blamed it on an earthquake that we didn't notice. 
this is California or, or something like that. But we were wrong. We're not. The boy stopped. His eyes darted back and forth across the table. The detective watched him weighing what he was trying to say. We're not a quote religious family or nothing like that. We'd go to church on Christmas and Easter and that was pretty much it. But once things really started going in the house, that's when we became believers. But apparently too late. The boy snuffled hard, wiped his running nose with the sleeve of his loose fitting black sweatshirt. My parents started fighting all the time, like really bad, screaming and yelling. They'd never been like that before. I know you probably think that I hated my stepdad, but I didn't, okay? He was all right. He always treated me and my mom right, you know? But once he started screaming at her, that was it. I knew it wasn't right. Like it wasn't him. After the first few nights following the first few fights, that's when things started getting nuts. I'd wake up in the middle of the night. It was really weird. Like I felt like something was in there with me, staring at me, but there was nothing there. My mom said that there was one morning when she was getting ready for work, that when she was in the shower, there was someone in there with her, creeping on her. She was terrified. She came out screaming. That was just a day or two before. He hung his head over the table. It's okay, son, Detective DeVita encouraged. Take a minute or a drink if you need. The boy turned his face back up and shook his head. It's just so much. He contemplated the drink in front of him, but continued without a sip. That night, we all had another big fight, my parents and me. It was the worst. I can't remember what we fought about because of what happened. We were in the living room and we started to hear doors slamming upstairs, open and shut, open and shut. All the photos we had on the walls were shaking, like there was an earthquake, but the ground wasn't shaking. It was horrible. I've never been so scared in my life, but I was still so mad from the fight, you know? So I started screaming at the house, how I hated that place and how it needed to burn. The boy stopped because he could see the judgment in the eyes of the detective. Look, man, I know this sounds nuts, but I'm not making this up. Look what it did to me. The boy popped up out of his chair and ripped up his hoodie. All across the boy's stomach, chest, sides, and back were the blaring scratches that looked not to be caused by human fingers but by claws. What's more, the MTs had addressed his scratches. The white bandages still covered a number of the boys reported injuries, but there were now new welts, some with dried and fresh blood smeared across his skin. Davida leaned back in his chair. He had seen the file the EMTs had provided and those photos did not look half as terrible as these, nor had there been this many. It's like, like they're fresher now. Like the scratches were just made. There's no way our guys would have let those scratches uncovered unless, unless the kid did it to himself in here. Davida shot a glance at the boy's hands. His nails were so short from being chewed. There was no way he could have done this with his hands. Maybe it's something else on him. Well, that's even harder to believe than negligent EMTs. Hanks checked him herself. What the hell is going on? The detective inhaled held his breath, then released a drawn out exhale. There's gotta be an explanation. Maybe the kid's got a crazy girlfriend he hasn't told us about because she put him through, or maybe she even made him do this shit. Before the detective could say or ask anything, the boy continued. It all stopped after the first scratches until tonight.
the boy sobbed. Everything went to hell tonight. My mom had brought home a Bible. As far back as I can remember, we'd never had one before. As soon as she crossed the front door, they knew. They fucking knew. All the lights began to fade and light up again, fade and light up. We heard what sounded like, I don't know, a tapping coming from my room upstairs. So my mom and me and my stepdad went up there to see what was going on. The lights wouldn't turn on. It was so dark in there, but that same feeling that I'd had that something was in the room was back. And I knew my folks could feel it too. Something began to speak to us, but it wasn't right. It was something between a growl and a whisper. I couldn't hear it exactly, but I could understand it. Like it was in my head. It was saying, get out, get it out over and over again. I knew exactly what it meant. It wanted the Bible out, but that was the last thing I was about to do. I ran downstairs where my mom had left the Bible, leaving my folks upstairs. I grabbed it and the second I did, I heard screams. My parents were screaming. The tears streaming down the boy's face were running into his mouth and down onto his heart as he spoke. I bolted back up, but halfway up the stairs, there was fire. It was so hot, I couldn't, there was nothing I could do. There was this horrible feeling like something was pulling me, pulling me in two directions, one toward the fire, one back down the stairs. It felt like I was being dragged downward, like, like my feet didn't even touch the ground. Then I felt it, the scratches. He motioned to his stomach, like something was trying to rip me apart. I must have blacked out or something, or something happened to me and I just don't fucking know what. But the next thing I knew, I was out front watching my home, my life, my parents burn. The boy looked straight up into the eyes of Detective Defita. I know you think I'm nuts and that you're probably going to lock me away forever, but this is what happened. I swear to you. There's something evil in that house, and it destroyed us. The detective had been watching, listening to everything the boy shared. He remained still a moment more, trying to see if the boy was going to prove his madness and shout, Happy Halloween! But he didn't. The detective tried to swallow, but his throat was so dry he couldn't. Clearing his throat, Davida leaned back over the table. He tried to remember the questions he had entering the room. He tried to create new inquiries, but his mind was stuck. He couldn't get over those claw marks. And the kid's story. It's either a hell of an imagination he has or... Thank you, Adam, Detective DeVita said as he began to stand. I'm, I'm going to um, get you some stuff to help you freshen up. And I'll set a medic in here to look at those scratches again, okay? I'll be right back, okay? Adam nodded once. Detective DeVita removed himself from the room. He did not stop when questioned by his partner who came running after him. He continued through the station all the way back to the spot at which he had been smoking his cigarette. He wished he had bummed a second. Leaning his back against the railing of the stairs leading to the parking lot, the detective once more stared up into the black sky. He thought back to the scene he had walked in on nine hours ago. A Bible on the grass and on the front lawn, the house smoldering. Deep within the rubble and the ashes, the techs had found bodies, but not complete bodies. The bones had been arranged. A head and two femurs, crossed as if designed like a skull and crossbones and a stupid pirate flag. The most unnerving aspect was that, at first inspection, none of the bones displayed any 
typical trait of having been through extreme heat and fire. It was as if the flesh had been stripped from the bones and the bones placed at the scene of the crime after the fire. Another chill ripped through the detective, holding on tight to the pocket rosary his grandmother had given him when he was around Adam's age. He felt it as true as anything in his heart. There's something else going on. All right, that was Sarah Faxon reading a sample chapter from her new book, Tiny Dreadfuls. Like I said, you know, I told you it was creepy and it definitely leaves you wanting to know what's going on. And I've, I've got to get this book. I've got to check it out so I can learn what's happening. Hey, if you want to find out more about Sarah, you can click the link in the show notes uh, for her Facebook, Instagram, uh, the podcast, the Semi-Sages. You can go back to episode 181 with Teresa Halverson and hear more about her collaboration that they did. Uh, don't forget to also follow our podcast friends, our partners, and sponsor. And hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss out next week when I'm back with Michael Rose and his debut novel, The Sorting Room. Until then, take care, everybody. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.